You are listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out race92.com for all your racing merchandise needs. I'm your co-host, Aaron McAtee, other co-host. You may have seen him walking out of a great clubs with a big old smile on his face. You've probably seen him at a dirt track. He is a one and only Scott Bowie. And some have seen me at IRP, Raceway Park, recently. Yes, they have. And you you told me the story. Um, but before we get into that, just wanted to thank everyone for watching and listening. If you haven't already, make sure you hit like and subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere where, where podcasts can be found. As we said last week, the episode we were releasing this week is um, Ted Warner and Angela Savage. They, um, they co-wrote a book together about Angela's father, Sweet Savage, and Ted has also authored other books and is also involved in many different things. Um, and we get to talk about a lot of that. And um, yeah, so obviously we're coming off the Indy 500 week weekend, um, you know, great race. We're going to release a review show hopefully at the end of the week. So we won't dive too much into that. Um, but yes, yeah, as Scott said, we were at um, Raceway Park this past weekend. You actually stayed longer than I did, Scott, because you stayed for the, um, I think the midget race. I went yep. home to go to bed um, because I had to get up early the next day. Um, to which you, actually, you, were, sorry, which you were still up later than I was. I knew you were going to say that. I was. That, that that always happens. I go home to go to bed and I end up staying up later than I probably would if I would have stayed out. <laughs> but anyway, so you so you actually ran into, I guess, a couple of fans of the show, correct? I did. Uh, so it was very it was very kind of uh, it was Sean and the Sundine. Um, so if you guys are listening, thank you for stopping me and thank you for listening to the show. Uh, I was leaving with Jagger Jones and his mom. We were walking out after the midget race and, um, head to the parking lot and a gentleman goes, Scott Bowie. And I thought this may be somebody I've known from the past and I just didn't recognize anymore. You know, I'm terrible with faces and names. And, um, but this gentleman said, race or race or podcast. And, um, that was really cool. And, and anybody else, if you ever see me, you got anything you want to say to me, if you, you know, whatever, you know, please stop and, and say hi. Uh, he was a very nice guy. He had worked. I couldn't, I can't remember if he worked in IndyCar or worked on the IndyCar team, uh, for a period of his life, he said. And, uh, like I said, his son was there and, uh, Jagger gave his son one of his Jagger Jones racing hats and took some photos with his son. So that was really cool. Uh, it was a it was a great way to end a very cold night. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, it, it was fun. Boy, what a month we had, right? It was just, I mean, from about the 12th on, it was uh, a busy, busy month. Yeah, definitely a busy month. Um, and, and now, like we always say, I feel sad when, when it's over. Um, because yeah. now it's over, but... Um, yeah, no, a lot, a lot of cool things happened this month. A lot of things we're working on that we will be releasing in the coming weeks that was done this month. So super excited about that. And, um, yeah, like I said, just a great month and, um, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Baxter, he agrees. It was very busy for him, obviously as well. Um, no, it was, it was a, a good month, uh, we went and you've got some 
footage and some things you've put together for Jagger that we'll be releasing or we you'll be releasing uh, in the next couple of weeks. And um, man, it was just busy, busy, busy. And I, I went to uh, the little 500 sprint car race the night before the 500. Spotted for Shane Hollingsworth. He ran eighth. So that was a good night. We got a bit shock about halfway through and we just had to kind of ride out the finish. But um, And then we met up before the race and you predicted the winner this time. And Man. our buddy Chin, our buddy Chin took your, took your pick and put money down on it and he walked away with some cash. So he, uh, he was very happy. We're going to cover this definitely during the review show, so I don't want to say too much, but right. I did predict it. Um, now, you know, people were saying, oh, if you listen to review show, I originally didn't say it. But if you actually go to the end, I kind of changed my answer. Um, yep. And I got extremely confident with that answer. And I literally was with my dad Thursday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yes. And Marcus Erickson walked by us. And my dad will confirm this. I looked at my dad and I pointed to Marcus and I said, there's your 2022 Indy 500 winner. True story. That's awesome. I would not make That's that awesome. up. Um, and I also had a little talk with David Land on race day morning. Um, and actually, this whole thing kind of evolved into a tweet that he later tweeted about saying that he told a couple people he would jump off the grandstand if Marcus won. Um, and I was one of those people that told him that Marcus was going to win. So, um, no, it's pretty funny. Luckily for, uh, luckily for, as far as I know, luckily for David, he didn't say which grandstand. So, or, right. or we're at, so he may have some wiggle room there, but, uh, if he doesn't know how to bungee jump, that's going to be rough. Well, I think he was making a call to duck bulls today and they were going to put one of those big inflatable like backs behind right. the grandstand so he could jump. Right. So we'll make sure he's not harmed in, during during this. That's right. No, no YouTubers were harmed. No YouTubers. <laughs> right. And I also got the privilege yesterday of hanging out with Mr. David Land. We both actually had the opportunity to do the two-seater with Mario Andretti, which I will be releasing something about that as well. But absolutely amazing experience. Um, special thanks to Billy and Stephanie Throckmorton for helping make that happen. Um, but yeah, that was a pretty, pretty cool experience. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I man, that was so awesome for you. I I remember you were tweeting me and or tweeting, texting me and uh just tell me your, what you're getting ready to do. And you sent me some photos, man. You're just pretty pretty uh pretty happy about it, a little emotional about it, and as well as you should be. It's pretty special. So Yeah, no, it's just I mean it's awesome. Right. Yeah, it, it is a, it's a surreal thing. Like when, when you're going on those speeds, you almost feel like you're on a roller coaster or something. Then you look in front of you and you see, because you can still see like Mario's helmet and you just see his helmet, which is like one of the most iconic um, helmet paint schemes ever of any race car. I don't care what anyone says, you know, obviously very simple design, but very iconic. And when you just see that in front of you, you realize who's driving you. It's pretty cool, especially where you're driving. So very, it's very cool. And uh, you said speed's pretty close to 200 mile an hour. Yeah, they go pretty close to 200, and I really like the most shocking thing, the most surprising thing is how fast he takes off and just in the warm-up lane, how fast you go in the warm-up lane. Because we're going the warm-up lane, it was going so fast, like I couldn't even like pay attention to what was going on because it's just so quick. You accelerate so yeah. fast, the G-forces. And I just kind of looked to my right, and I realized like we're still in the warm-up lane, and we're going this fast. Because for a second, like, are we, did he already go up? 
like onto the you know the banking and nope we're still in the warm-up lane um so, so yeah really how well. does that work do you do you make a complete lap so you do you you go through because you don't enter the track on one or two you enter on the back stretch just like the cars do yes like during the race and then do you make an entire lap where you go into one off two, then come back around going to pits yes exactly that's exactly what happens yeah that's what i thought uh man that's, and they start, that is that's they awesome. start yeah. and they so they start like at the end of pit road so that's where you get right. in the car at the end of pit road so that way you don't have to go into the pits at all um you just go on the main stretch and they just pull right in there in the first turn by the um last turn of the road course before you go into the front stretch right man that, that is that is awesome I, I was very happy for you i i just uh i imagine that was just pretty special and, yeah it's really uh, great like for a billy and great for billy and stephanie to do that for some people that that i guess had worked with them you know with the over the last couple of months and um so that you know hats off to them yeah and surprisingly that was david land's first time ever in the two-seater which i was super surprised about he's never done it with anyone at all so what do you what do you say afterward or do you have that you're going to release later um no, I mean, he just said like how amazing it was and just how quick he was like, he was just surprised how quick, I mean, how close they got to the wall. Yeah. And he was like, but I, I trusted it because it was Mario and Dreddy. <laughs> That's literally right. what he said. But I mean, I think any driver, any other two-seater drivers, the experience is probably going to be pretty similar um, as far as the speeds and all that. But obviously you're in the car with Mario, so that definitely makes him more special for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, man, oh, I and before I forget, I, I met uh, two not fans of the show, at least not at that point, but uh, two fans of the race uh, during the race, and uh, got to talking. And they said they're going to check out our podcast. So if they ever stumble across this, um, you know, nice to meet you guys. Uh, you know, I had a great time, and and um, you know, I, and I, I they were they were pretty hardcore fans, I believe. Uh, just by listening to talk, or at least they knew a lot about sport. Uh, so that, that was really cool. It's, it's cool to sit around people who, who have a really good idea what's going on. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, talk about what's going on. Like, I, I think the two seater is just, if anyone ever has the opportunity to do it, and even if it's not with Mario, I know they do like Groupon deals around Christmas time. It's like 200 bucks, which is a really good deal. Um, it, it, it kind of gives you a new appreciation for the sport and it makes you understand it better. So I definitely recommend it if you're a big fan, um, because it, it's just a G force. So you're like, how can someone drive the car level and ride in the car for 500 miles? So it, it gives you a whole new perspective. Yeah, I, I, I've never done it. I'm a little large for the old two seater, but, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's okay too. I don't, I really have no desire to do it, but, uh, yeah, I I think that's I think it's a really great way for people to respect the sport more. I mean, maybe you know, because it's easy to stand there and just you know, when you're watching a race, it looks like you're just going around the track and it's not a big deal. You know, you don't realize the speed and the g forces and the loading and the bumps and uh, and you didn't even get a chance to feel the the steering load in the wheels, so you right. throw that into it. You feel the shifting and it's just kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a big feeling when, when they shift. Um, 
but yeah, no, it's just, you know, you're, you're and the big thing was like going through the corner, trying to hold, I couldn't hold my head still just kind of went to the, the outside. Right. Um, obviously the driver, they have padding and they can't even really move their head. So it's a little looser um, for the, the person riding, obviously, but it definitely gives you a good perspective. Um, and yeah, going about 200 mile an hour. So not, not too far off a of race pace. So you're getting like a, 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 uh, through up until the mid 2000s feel with your head. I mean, you look at the yeah. old videos, they don't have any type of head sport. And I thought that what literally we're going through the corner and I thought of, um, our good buddy, Pete Pete Halsmer. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I was like, man, I know exactly what Pete Pete's talking about. <laughs> but yeah, no great experience. And, um, yeah, no great great race weekend like we said definitely stay tuned because we are releasing some stuff and working on some other stuff as well we will be releasing as far as like video and videos and other content goes and next week we're going to be releasing david hops Mm -hmm. uh, which we recorded a couple couple months ago and we had him on previously um last year um but you know he's definitely a legend of the sport and someone we wanted to revisit with and has a lot of good stories um, when we had him on the first time, he kind of um, he ran out of some time. So I think we 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 covered pretty much everything up to his last of his racing career for the most part. But obviously, he's had a big career since then, broadcasting and other stuff. And we get a touch on you know some of the racing stuff, but also some of the stuff we didn't really get to talk about before. I tell you one thing that was nice about this month um, was running into guests of the show that I'd never met in person. So yep. I ran into Scott Goodyear at Indianapolis Racing Park, talked to him. He had some very kind words. He was very generous, um, and he was generous with his time when he did his interview with us, uh, the James Hinchcliffe at the Burger Bash. And uh, I didn't get to say hi to Renus, but Renus was at the Burger Bash as well, um, and just other drivers. And I know you talked to several drivers during the month who – I think Simon Pagenaud's one and, and some other drivers that, that's been on our show. And uh, that's, that's really nice to be able to say thank you in person and um, and that sort of thing. So Yeah, no, Simon, um, great guy. He actually complimented us on um, saying that we do a good job with the show. And, yeah, I, I got to meet Robbie McGee. Um, I mean, I've right. met him before, but first time I've met him since we've you know got to know him and got to do the podcast. So that was really cool. To get to meet him, he came in town for the Legends Day. Um, and there's a couple others, Tom Bigelow included, um, that I met as well that we've had on the show. And yeah, so and so we're good. Like we said, we're going to do a race review show um, with Spike Gilhausen later in the week. Maybe try to get one or two other people to join in as well. Um, and we'll try to get that released hopefully by Friday. Hey, you got to give a big shout out to uh, Mark James too. I do. So Mark Jaynes, thank you. So, um, yeah, so I got to hang out with Mark Jaynes a little bit in the um, IMS Radio Network booth and the Media Center a little bit um, during practice week, which was a really cool experience. Um, thank you so much, Mark. I think we're I'm going to get the opportunity to go back um, when they do another race at some point um, from the remote location. So um, definitely look forward to that. And, yeah, it was really cool to, you know, really see kind of how they operate and um, definitely professionals. Mark is very good at what he does and kind of seeing the behind the scenes, um, you know, action of what, what happens with the radio broadcast. Um, obviously there's a lot of talking that goes on behind the scenes that you don't hear. Um, you know, they have different buttons to push and they're, they're looking at all the data and all that. 
Um, so definitely very hectic. And I know how hard it is to, to find things to talk about sometimes on a podcast. So I can't even imagine being on air. We can edit stuff out. They can't. Right. Yeah. No, they do such a great job. I, I got to listen to them a little bit this month. I didn't get to listen to them as much as I wanted to. I, I, um, at the race, I forgot my headphones. I was going to listen to the radio broadcast. I actually did. I actually listened because we have a scanner and sometimes we listen to like the driver's radio and stuff. But majority of the race, I was actually listening to the IMS radio network because I don't think there's anyone who really does it better than that. I mean, the TV right. does a great job, obviously, but the radio, um, I mean, they've got they've gotten well-deserved um, awards for their radio broadcasting. And um, yeah, it's just, they do a great job. And um, yeah, just great people. I, yeah, I, I can't agree with that anymore. Uh, they are the best of the best of the best. Absolutely. Well, I hope everyone enjoys our interview with Ted Angela Savitz. Like I said, stay tuned later in the week for a race review show, hopefully for the 500 and also some other content we will be releasing and yep. hope everyone has a great week. I just want to say Aaron's been putting in a lot of hard work, doing a lot of editing. I've seen some of the roughs and it's great. So it's really cool. And uh, I hope everybody has uh, a great week and everybody take care. Today, we are joined by Miles Ahead founder and author Ted Warner and Angela Savage, the daughter of Sweet Savage. Angela, sorry, I, I never mess this up and I just completely just messed this yeah, up. I, I will say that he has never messed this up. Yeah. You're and fine. we've done like 60 of them. So maybe you're the lucky one. <laughs> I feel lucky. But of course, I totally get it. I mess up all the time. It's just life, you know. Not even a mess. It's just a doable. Yeah, it's it's not a long it's not a long intro, so it's not a big deal. It's all good. <clears throat> Today we are joined by Miles Head founder and author Ted Warner and daughter of Sweet Savage, Angela Savage. First off, thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having us both. We're really glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously both of you have been involved with racing and really, I mean, you both had different paths really in racing. So talk a little bit about um, it needs if you can kind of talk about how you first got interested in racing or got involved. Obviously, Angela, your answer is a little more obvious, but how did you guys kind of, how did your paths kind of meet and how, yeah, how did you guys first meet? I'll let you go, Ted. Okay. Um, well, I was a huge Sweet Savage fan. I, I became a race fan at the age of five when my father took me to the Indianapolis 500 time trials and I saw the STP turbine number 40 with Parnelli Jones and that car just captivated me. So when I became aware of Swede Savage driving the STP number 40 car, I knew he had to be somebody special. And um, so I became a, a huge Swede fan and uh, followed his progress throughout the month of May of 1973. And then, of course, we all know what happened uh, with his uh, fatal accident. Uh, but then, then I was reading a book, and I would have been 12 years old at this time, uh, that said that Swede's widow, Angela's mother, was at the race and pregnant and witnessed the crash. And from that point on, I just became um, very um, interested in the story and how on earth could anyone be born into such circumstances. So 40 years later, uh, I met a gentleman here in Indianapolis who was organizing a trip uh, for Angela to come to the Indianapolis 500 for the first time, and, uh, or, or maybe the second time. She was in her mother's womb the first time. And I offered my help to organize that trip. I met Angela in March of 2014, 
just a couple of months before she came to the Speedway for the first time. And and that's how we met. I had wondered about her for 40 years of my life. And then our paths, you know, God saw fit to cross our paths. And it's been an amazing uh, story ever since. So for me, um, after my father passed, my mom left the racing community, really probably never to come back. You know, it really hurt her for obvious reasons. And so we left and moved back to California and, and, and went on, you know, with our lives. And she was remarried relatively quick within six months. And her new husband had two baby boys that, that came with him. So she was very busy and, and, and often running in her life. So, so off we went, uh, we did a little racing. Um, then my stepdad raced a jet boat. So I was water ski racing when I was like five years old behind a jet boat. But then after that, no, no racing ever happened. And, you know, I was a little bit, uh, you know, I, there were some blockages. I, I, I couldn't watch an IndyCar race because it was just really upsetting. And um, it triggered a lot of things, you know. It made me realize what I was missing. And so it was just really difficult. And so then, you know, I joined Facebook. Life goes on. I joined Facebook uh, 2009 and, you know, just kind of like to push the buttons. And, you know, eventually people started to figure out who I was. You know, are you Sweet Savage's daughter? Yes. And would you ever consider coming back to the 500? You know, they wanted me to come back right away. And my initial reaction was really, no, you know, I don't think so. I don't really know why I would want to go back there. That place had sort of, you know, messed my life up a little bit. So I was really timid about coming back. But after thinking about it, you know, it just kind of became very clear to me that it was time. It was time for me to go back and face the the dragon and you know face the fire and and see what could possibly come out on the other side of that but it was really very very terrifying and overwhelming at first you know uh but i since i came back in 2014 i've been making up for lost time i've been uh running around all the different types of racing that that my dad did because he did all of it and i've really really fallen in love with the racing community you know, people talk about how the racing community is a family and yeah, yeah, I heard that my whole life, but I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, seems sort of cliche to me. But after I came back to Indy, I really realized it's it's not a cliche. It's true. Everybody was so warm and, and welcoming and um, understanding. There were times when I had to just go away in the bathroom and cry, or there were times when I couldn't go to that party after that party, you know, because it was just a lot. But everybody's been so graceful and so wonderful. And, and um, I just, now I wish I'd have come back so much sooner because I, I missed my life, which would have been with all the racing community, you know, so I'm really doing the best I can to uh, make up for lost time in that, in that way. So I'm just really glad to be back here in Indiana. I live here in Indiana now, um, just 20 minutes from Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I was down there today and, um, you know, really for the first time in my whole life, I feel like I am where I belong. And uh, people understand me here. I don't hardly even have to say anything and they already kind of get it. So that helps a lot in social situations and stuff. So um, it's, it's really been quite
quite a long and um, amazing journey back to where I belong, back home in Indiana. Wait, so when actually was your first time at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? That was in 1973, but I was in my mother's womb. My mother, right? Was- that's what I thought because when you said, because technically I was at the 1992 Indy 500, but my mom was pregnant with me. Oh, that absolutely counts. In fact, a gentleman today down in Speedway reminded me that I am definitely allowed to count that one. So that's why I just did, because I just heard that again today. I definitely get to count that. But then I didn't go back again until 2014. And it's been a love fest. It's been a magic carpet ride that just won't quit. And uh, I'm, I'm just getting started. I, we, we've got so many fun projects ahead of us and this amazing book behind us or, or with us. You know, that was um, quite a journey in itself. It took us about five years to get through all of that. And I really wasn't prepared to, I had to figure my life out so that I could (laughs) explain it. And that was really difficult. Um, But when Ted and I met, you know, we, he, uh, I was working with him. We were doing um, autocross events with Minnie Cooper, um, John Cooper works. And so we were on the road a lot. And I just, you know, he was someone who was dying to know all the things that I really need to get needed to get off of my chest too. So it was very much anointed. And, you know, there were, there were times we were on the road for eight hours straight and it was just yak, yak, yak the whole time. I'm, you know, I, I never talked a lot about it before, but you know, it was just time to get it out. It was time to get out. And Ted was the one gracious enough to let me. And um, so he just hit his recorder and, you know, boom, later, five years later, and a lot of work and research, we have this new book, Savage Angel. I'm I'm very proud of it, and um, I'll never be able to thank Ted enough for helping me get all of that out. It's been a really um, wonderful and therapeutic experience. Yeah, you're. You know, obviously, you said your mom goes home back to California and quickly starts trying to put her life back together. Um, to which, you know, part of that's being born, having you being born, obviously. Um, and then obviously, like you said, she gets married and, and she has two other children, um, roughly about the same time. And, and um, at what point, I, I, I don't know, I mean, was she trying to shield her family from the auto racing? Like it, it hurt so bad. She just kind of wanted to get you guys away from it, and yeah. um, I mean, you know, and, she and find and other I, things. I I kind of like to refer to us as the shrapnel, if you will, yeah. because she she couldn't wait to get as far away from from here as possible, and I can't I can't blame her for that no. at all. But at the same time, you know, uh, I always had a lot of questions growing up. You know, I wanted to know more, but, but you don't want to unstable the new stable. So I just held a lot of it in and uh, that, that all ended up, you know, hurting me really more than anything. So that's, that's one reason why coming back, you know, has been so therapeutic and um, allowing me to share all the, cause I went through hell in my life. I mean, we know now because of this book, and the research that we did, we know now that a woman who is very pregnant 
and experiences a traumatic event like that, not only does she get the PTSD, but the baby gets the PTSD too. The baby feels everything she's feeling at that point. So I, my mother and I both had PTSD our whole lives and were struggling, but we didn't know we had that. There wasn't any real information about those things yet. And so it was actually while we were, or had already started this book, to correct me if I'm wrong, but we were um, studying posthumous children. That's what it's called when the, the posthumous child's father dies while the mother's pregnant. And we learned that they there wasn't any study done on that, studies done on that until 9-11. After 9-11, they realized that a lot of the fallen heroes had pregnant wives, girlfriends, whatever. And so they said, let's go check on those kids. Well, it turns out, you know, they're not doing that great. So they started studying trauma, you know, that, that uh, pregnant women go through and how does it affect the baby. So learning these things, I can't tell you, putting together some of the pieces for me and helping me to understand why I, I struggled the way I did and why I um, acted out the way I did. And um, it really helps me, you know, not, I always say knowledge is always power. And so by learning those things, I, allowed, I was able to empathize with myself and forgive myself for a lot of the things I was doing wrong out of pain, you know. I was addicted and afflicted, but I've, you know, I've gotten past all that now. And um, this, this book has really been such an important part of my life. It's, a, it's really scary for me to think, because it was like a crossroads. I've been through so many crossroads, but it was like, do I go back to India or not? And I could have easily so easily just said no i don't i don't think so it's, it's a little much and i was really a hermit at that time i was very much a hermit so i could have just said no i don't think so but i went you know and i it's i shudder to think what if i hadn't you know decided to come back because it really just sort of opened up my life in you know like all these layers of crap are coming off like an onion you know and uh I don't know. I don't even want to think what it, what I would be like now if I hadn't come back to face all of these things. At what point as a child did you realize that your father uh, was different than the man that your mother had in the house, who was your stepfather, uh, and that your father had, you know, suffered this horrible fate? I was about probably six, maybe about six years old. And uh, somebody had popped in a, a DVD. Um, I, I always thought it was the Fire and Rain DVD. It's about the 1973 Indy 500, which is all the, the drama and stuff. But it might have been the wide world of sports. Anyway, a six-year-old girl is watching the TV. Someone says, that's your dad. And then it shows the big explosion. And that's how I remember learning about it. It was, I see it, you know. And then after that, there wasn't a whole lot of, are you okay? Again, no fault to my family. It just wasn't like that back then. We weren't really um, as educated about mental health then. So you know, there wasn't a lot of um, anything after that. So that it was really, really hard. And then, you know, there's this whole new family, these, these kids, and you have to, at six years old, it's a really hard thing to kind of process. 
you know, and then there was this back room that had like the, the trophies and the stuff, you know, but I didn't go in there because it just was kind of, it was kind of, I didn't really get it, but it, it really traumatized me if, to, to, to sure. be frank about it. I was about six years old and uh, shattered me. It really I remember, did. I remember as a kid uh, when I was, so I'm 52, so I was probably maybe six, seven. Uh, I remember my brother and I were watching TV one day, and there was actually a show that came on, uh, and it uh, it showed like sports catastrophes or something like that, and that that was actually one of the things. And it, uh, yeah, and and uh, and he and I were talking about because I I was obviously in '73, I, I was too young to really remember that and know that, but my brother was telling me about it, and I. And I remember watching that to this moment. So I can't imagine being the daughter of this human being and then seeing it that same way. Well, what it, it I mean, it blew my mind, pun sure. intended, I suppose. And then, you know, what it really did um, was all my foundation that I thought was my foundation that I was standing on fell out from underneath me. And I didn't know what was real. I didn't know what was up or down. I didn't know who was the dad, who wasn't the dad. Are these my brothers? You know, and then there, I had a sister. I mean, it was really, it was too much for, for a, right. a young child to figure out. I should have been in therapy. Um, but again, you know, we just didn't know those things back then. Sure. Yeah. So you talk a little bit about coming back to Indy in 2014. And I mean, in a way, and you were talking about like, you know, that was definitely really hard thing for you to do but in a way i'm sure it also helped you um i i mean i don't know a lot about like psychology or whatever but i think like dealing kind of with the head-on helps in a way and also you probably felt like i'm guessing like after you did the book and everything you felt a lot more like connected with your dad i would guess like you felt like you actually maybe knew him more even though you never met him absolutely well i learned a lot and I'll, you'll hear me say a lot you know i learned that we don't run don't run from your fears. If something is afraid of you, you run straight at that thing and see what it is and conquer it. Or you can waste your whole life running. You know, and I and I did. I was running, running, running in a circle. I wasn't going anywhere. I was just running from that, you know. So um, it, it, it was really, really healing for sure. And, you know, I realized that I wasn't connected to my father, not because he wasn't around, but I had had him so blocked off. I was mad. I had anger issues. How can you be that freaking cool and then leave right before I get here? You know, so I wouldn't even let him in. But then after I experienced some personal healing of my own, my heart softened up. I didn't realize I was mad at him. See, this is all what I realized afterwards. But I was, and I and I had them all blocked out. And so um, working on these things allowed me to open up my heart and let him in with me, you know. And just like you said, um, I feel like our spirits are reconnected, and it's nothing less than that. I feel like we walk together, and he's with me at the track, and it's um, it's really, really something special. I'm sure for Ted, when I mean, when you started this, 
I'm sure obviously you knew a little bit of some of the backstory and stuff. I would think like at the end of this project, like what would you say was the biggest, like, I don't know, takeaway or thing that maybe you learned or really took away from working on this project? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. We learned so much. The, the big surprise to me was um, it was almost an accidental discovery about some of the mental health issues that uh, a person like Angela would encounter given her circumstances and the incredible circumstances into which she was born. And as Angela mentioned, 9-11 uh, was really kind of a key event in the understanding of PTSD in a pregnant woman, um, the uh, challenges that face a posthumous child. And, and, and not only that, but as Angela mentioned, she had an older sister. Uh, we found out that uh, you know some of the children who were born to uh, to widows, 9-11 widows who lost their husbands in the terrorist attacks, um, that there was resentment between the child who never knew his or her father and the child that did. Um, so all the, there were a tremendous number of complicating factors that all ganged up. It was almost like a perfect storm. And I, I, at one point, I actually tried to calculate the probability that anyone like Angela would be born into the world and face the different environmental and, and, and factors right out of the womb. And it was literally like one in a, a billion, something like that. Because we, we've identified a number of different uh, aspects that have affected her. Uh, for example, there's a, a study called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey, uh, which is becoming very well known now in the, uh, 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 the world of mental health. And that what we found out was uh, children under the age of 18 who are exposed to, there's a list of 10 adverse childhood experiences. Uh, for example, you know, did you ever witness your mother being struck by her husband or you know, things like of that nature? And Angela, I asked her, once I found out about this survey and the correlation between a high number of uh, positive responses to some of these uh, you know, terrible events that a child can be exposed to, discovered that there was a correlation between adverse childhood experiences and mental health outcomes later in life. So, and, and then there were other things that we discovered. So we identified about half a dozen things that all kind of combined to, to, to pile on top of Angela as she went through her life. And it, that was really the unexpected discovery for me anyway. I didn't expect to get that deep into right. what makes Angela Savage tick. And, uh, you know, it, it changed her life and it really changed mine. And I, and I think we hope that it'll change other people's lives because there are, there are other people like Angela out there that probably feel pretty lonely and isolated, just like Angela did. So, you know, as we move forward, you know, with, with the book behind us and other exciting projects ahead of us, you know, I know that it's Angela's desire to, you know, connect with some of those people and let them know that you're not alone. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you're talking about, because I've had these some of these same thoughts in my life too. Like you were a little kid, listen to a race your favorite driver, you know, unfortunately perishes. Uh, then you hear the story about the daughter, and then you it never left you your entire life. This never leaves you. And uh it is interesting how your lives did end up crossing uh, much later. And uh was it was it a conscious thing or a subconscious thing when you first had the chance to meet her? It's like, oh, I've been waiting my whole life for this. Or was it like something you said, oh, yeah, I, I would love to. And then all of a sudden you think, well, this is something I've been waiting my whole life for. Yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to put into words because I, you know, it, 
<clears throat> I can remember walking to classes in college thinking that, okay, you know, this child, whether it's him or her, you know, is six, seven, eight years old or whatever. And, you know, just various times I, I would think about this child and then, you know, the, the thought would go away, but it, it never left me because I, it, to me, as interesting as Swede Savage was as an individual and as, a, as an amazing human being and athlete, Angela's story to me was absolutely as compelling because it, it, there was, to me, there was a mystery there. I'm like, you know, is that person still alive? You know, and then when we connected and we started talking for hours and hours and hours, you know, I was like a sponge. I couldn't get enough. And, you know, Angela would say, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, just talking to your ear off. I'm like, no, no, no. You know, it's, I can't get enough because I was, it was like a void in me that I, I always wondered, you know, what was going on, but um, I welcomed it. You know, it, it was like, you know, you've looked for a treasure all your life and all of a sudden you found it by accident and you start dusting off the, the dirt and you find that there's this amazing diamond under there that has never seen the light of day. That's what it was like. That's really nice. Now, did it did it shape your life in some some subconscious way as well? Did do you think that unconsciously some of the things you did in your life were affected by that moment in your life? Uh, me personally or Ted? No, no, I'm sorry, Ted. Um, Meaning well, like maybe some of the classes you took, or you know, or some of the things that you as you um, were walking forward in life. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I always wanted to be a race car driver from the age of five. So, okay. um, you know, so I had that kind of similarity, I guess you could say to, to Sweet Stabs. And, you know, there, there were times where I find myself racing on the same circuits as Sweet did, you know, Road America, for example. Uh, so, you know, I always thought that that, that was kind of, but it, to me, in my mind, I was never going to know about Sweet's family. You know, when he died, there was no internet you know, I, you know and I subscribed to the uh, uh, Indianapolis Star for the month of May. I lived in suburban Chicago, and uh, my grandmother had bought me the subscription to the paper. But Swede, you know, the, the race ended on May 30th uh, that, that when they finally finished it. So there was only one more day left on my month of May subscription. And that was it. The next I heard of Swede, he had died. You know, and they, there was just this little article on the front page of the sports section in the Chicago Tribune. And you know, and there was no, you know, GoFundMe, none of that stuff like there is now. And uh, and then, you know, Swede's family just completely dropped off the radar to, to the public anyway, um, and right. for understandable reasons. But so to me, it was just like, the, it, it, it's a miracle, you know, and I'm a, I'm a believer in God and I know Angela is too. And to me, meeting Angela and then under getting to know all about the story and ultimately writing this book to me was my big testimony you know I, I waited all my life for something like a sign from god if you will if it's not doesn't sound too corny um you know to reveal himself to me and and you know god chose this miraculous encounter that has developed into an amazing friendship not only with Anna but with her mother as well and uh her uncle bruce and you know it's just been a, an amazing blessing so it's definitely changed my life since we met and um so angela so Obviously, when you came back to India, I'm guessing you probably got to meet um, some drivers that your dad would have raced against, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm guessing like that, I mean, that would have to be kind of a, I mean, that has to hit a little harder just because like you're talking to someone who who knew him um, and knew him with something in which he lost his life in. Um, well, so I mean, honestly, I mean, it seemed like everybody and their mother knew my dad except for me. And that right. was tough. You know, they're telling me. Uh, and I'm like, you know, it's just kind of a really awkward place to be sure. in. And sometimes people will vibe you like 
me, they're like, it's just kind of this vibe, like, well, you weren't even there, you know, we were all there, you weren't even there, you know, and that is really, really hurtful. Um, you know, I've heard some of that from my own, my own family members, you know, you weren't there. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard, but it was wonderful. I mean, it wasn't bad hard. My whole life has been bad hard. Coming back here has been hard, but it's all been good hard. You know, it's, it's overwhelming, but it's good overwhelming, you know, and I had, I was already prepared for big things because I've been through hell, <laughs> but this is like, it's a lot, but it's, it's good. It's all good. So, so I can handle it. You know, the, the drivers are so amazing. They, they, you know, I'm right in their arms with the hugs, and then they want to tell me all about it. You know, Mario Andretti, Johnny Rutherford, come on, Ted, who else? Roger Penske is, um, he was yeah. interested in hiring my dad. Nobody knows that, but it is in the book. Um, yeah, who else? Mel yeah. Canyon, um, John Martin, all of them. I've, I've met most of them, you know, that were racing with him or there and people that were on his crew as well tom lucas you know i just met a guy yesterday when yeah jim bob jim bob, yeah. jim bob <laughs> this guy across the street from the speedway ims has a shop down there and i went in there to see his his indie stuff that he's selling and the next thing i know he's telling me that he worked on my dad's crew in 72 yep. and He's like, I've got a bunch of pictures. I'll find them. This was yesterday, was it or two days ago? Anyway, I went back today, and he had all the pictures ready. And I didn't tell him I was coming back. I think he just knew because you know he had some goodies. And I mean, we just walked in off the street the other day. You know, we had no idea what we were walking into. Yeah. But this is the beauty of Angela living in Indianapolis. You know, it happens like, all the time. She, yeah. Before she moved here, I, I said, you know, everybody in this town knows the Sweet Savage name and story. Nobody in Boulder City, Nevada, where she's from, would know. So there's an instant empathy right off the bat, and and it's so comforting to her. Just like this gentleman we, we met the other day, it's just well, amazing. Jim Bob's a good man, and uh, yeah, he, uh, really? he yeah, he was a he was a racer too. You know, he drove sprint cars. Yeah. Um, I know, I know, he's, he's a good man. I've known him a long time, and oh. uh, he's a really good man. He's closing yeah. that shop, I think, end of the month or something. Yeah, right. and I didn't, you know, sometimes I feel so 2000 and late. I didn't even know it was there, and now it's closing. So, you know, I'm, like, in there every few days just, like, getting what I can. I bought a race shirt today and another STP patch. But you Can you ever have too many or enough STP patches? I don't think so. There was about 10 billion of them made over the years, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, this was, like, a stack of like brand new ones they never saw the light yeah. day, so I'm yeah, like, all embroidered yeah they're really nice yeah those stickers those stickers my uh you know because they gave them out by the fistfuls you know the packages yeah and uh we had so many of mom used to just give them away at halloween to the kids and they loved it and they you know they would they'd come back and get more that night they would just they <laughs> love those stickers. you'd see them on all the stop signs around the neighborhood you'd see them everywhere yeah well and that's that's what i think would help make sweet so heroic was you know not only was he this amazing, extremely talented, good-looking guy that you know out of California, but he drove for STP of all people. You know, I mean that, that's a legendary brand. He drove for Andy Grantelli. I mean, it doesn't get any more legendary than that. So, 
you know, he came and he went so fast, but, you know, the STP Association and Bell Helmets. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I really should say that even though I wasn't connected my whole life, that Bell and STP, those images, it's like brothers or something, you know, it's so, that's the most familiar thing coming back was the Bell and the STP logos. It's like burned in my brain. I don't know why, but um it's like they're like family family businesses or something because i guess every picture i probably see with my dad is the stp and the bell you know so i have a really soft spot in my heart for both of those brands are sure no yeah. I, I know exactly what you're saying yeah it's like family you know i see a an stp sticker and it's like a warm fuzzy you know you see a bell right. sticker and it's like oh my brother's here or whatever right. it's a good thing i love it <laughs> Well, you know, that has to do with psychology, too, because like with logos, I, I went to school for graphic design and I learned like di- different shapes mean different things and they make you think a certain way. That's um, right. Because like a circle, a circle is something to do with like um, love and being secure, um, because if you think about it, what shape is a wedding ring? And it never ends. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's I've never thought about that before. It's funny the STP is kind of the same shape. Yeah, yeah. It's just a very familiar image and always has been my whole life. You know, anytime it was like, oh, it was something familiar, like my my past life or an old life or something, you know. And even still, I've got any chance I get, I, I I'll take a stack of those STP stickers and bell stickers. I'll I'll put them up anywhere. I love them. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. Uh even the band Stone Temple Pilots used the STP logo That's right. for, you know, for a lot of their marketing and that. It's just, uh, you know, I remember it's amazing how that just lives on and on and on yeah. and on. Yeah, but in my head, even as a little younger person, I'm like, it's not a band STP. That's not Stone sure. Temple Pilots. You know, right. I'm in California. They don't know what I'm talking about. You know, they probably <laughs> would have here in Indiana. I'm like, STP. And I love the band, you know, but I, I sure. did feel like he, you, you can't jack my, my team STP either. You know what okay. I mean? They played so, a carb, they played it like carb day, I think, and back in early 2000s at some point. Hey, that's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first year I came in 2014, uh, who was playing Sublime was playing and Doug Bowl, president of IMS, who, was so gracious in his welcome. Um, he had given me some backstage passes to see Sublime. And I was really excited about that. But you know what? I had to do an appearance before that, which kind of just drained me of everything. And I couldn't even, I was just, there was so much going on. I didn't get to go backstage to see Sublime, which kind of says a lot about how much was going on. Because in a normal circumstance i wouldn't miss that for the world but i was like i gotta go back to the room and decompress you know sorry doug love you doug wasn't that uh wasn't uh sammy hagar was part of that too i believe and and that would be different i think it was sammy hagar and sublime together sammy hagar's from san bernardino like my father and that's what i was gonna say you know he loves around in in his yellow corvette (laughs) yep he loved going to ascot and go to all the races he he would love to meet you, I'm sure. Oh, that'd be cool. Who's gonna set that up? Mm, I don't out. know him. <laughs> uh, I just sent it out there in a message, so maybe someone's gonna get it. 
So obviously, you know, we're talking about the book and you also, there's also Sweet Savage Church, right? So obviously you've done a lot with like the branding for your dad. So talk a little bit about how all that kind of came into fruition. Uh, you know, we just needed some Savage shirts. So Ted, who also has a degree in graphic design, he's um, designed the very first one for me and it's sold really well. And then, you know, I haven't had a lot of, I really want to get my fingers into the merchandise because that's really fun for me, but we've been very busy writing books and working and stuff. So I'm still planning on doing that. But if you go to the website, um, savage42.net, that's where you can get the book, but there's also a nice merchandise section that's grown a little bit. I have, um, you know, maybe three or four shirts on there, some hats, things like that. But I'm, I am looking forward to working more on the merchandise line. Cause I really think that's fun. Also, I'd love to do some merchandise for some other racers too. So, you know, I've got my, my little fingers and all kinds of things, you know, just trying to have some fun and, and, and do it right. So Ted, you, you, you uh, met Angela and, and kind of your life in some ways comes full circle. Um, right. We're, where does this leave you now on this journey? Do you, uh, are you, obviously you love auto racing first and foremost as well. Yep. Are you thinking about maybe doing more books or more projects like that? Um, kind of where does this, what road, where's the fork in the road leading you now? Well, we have some really, really exciting things that we're working on that we can't talk to about, talk about too much, but we are, uh, I, I was going to say heading down the road. We are on the road toward doing other things. Uh, Angela and I together, along with a, uh, actually a friend of hers from childhood um, who's in the entertainment industry. So uh, we have some really, really interesting, exciting ideas. And later this year, there's going to be something really exciting happening. We're aiming for uh, the uh, uh, big machine music city Grand Prix for a, a major uh, unveiling. Let's, let's just say that, and it's going to be, uh, for anyone who's a Sweet Savage fan, it's going to drop you in your tracks, and uh, that's about all I can say, but it's a big, big surprise, and something I thought would never happen in my lifetime, and I'm sure Angela uh, never dreamed it would happen in her lifetime, so really, the, you know, and we've gotten such a great response to the book. The book is, you know, it's the first book I've ever written, um, and, uh, you know, of course, you had to understand all about publishing and so forth, and Nowadays, more than ever, it's easier to, you know, it's so easy to self-publish. Um, you know, we looked at, I, we spoke with a couple different publishers and I did a lot of research and found out that it could take as much as a year or longer to, to find out if a publisher is interested. And after a year, they could tell you no, or a number of publishers could tell you no. So we're like, okay, look, you know, we, we feel there's a critical mass of Sweet Savage fans out there. If we just take this into our own hands, Angela and I together, and with my design background and my you know, uh, understanding of printing and graphics and so forth, uh, we could do a great job on this. And and everybody that's that has had this book in their hands, uh, you know, is impressed with the production quality of it. So we wanted to create something first and foremost that uh, you know was a tribute to Sweden that anyone could be proud. Of. In fact, um, Angela's mother has told me in the past, as she's told Angela, that at one point Swede turned to her. They were driving somewhere, and he said, "Wouldn't it be cool if I was in a book someday?" <laughs> so, you know, and to, to think that I had, I was the one that, you know, put the words to the page, uh, you know, it's just never could have dreamed, but it's really, so to answer your question, the book has really become kind of a springboard to other projects. We're, we're well down the road, 
to uh, with the, the thinking and coalescing ideas on how to make this the springboard into other interesting projects, R racing related, not necessarily car racing related, but uh, you know, inspiring stories and so forth. And you know, we've got some people lined up behind us that uh, you know, I think this is really just going to be the beginning. This is some really exciting stuff. Uh, but the uh, yeah, the Music City Grand Prix at Nashville is going to be. We're going to do something there that's going to be really, really special. So excited to well, share that. I, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Hopefully, I'll get there this year. Uh, last year, I didn't go. Um, I, I really enjoyed that event last year. Um, Wasn't it great? First yeah, I, I really that's did. Where we launched the book. Yeah, we, that's where, remember, that's Andrew, where we, we did our launch mm -hmm. in the Vintage Indie Paddock, which is where right. you'll find us at the races. So, um, you know, when you get to the race, find the Vintage Indie Paddock and we'll have a little hospitality there and some really fun things to show. Yeah, and that, those are good guys, too. I mean, I, I, I go out to their shop out here, you know, uh, Dubin yeah. shop and that out right. there. So, Lovely. yeah, great guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, Angela, I, I've got another question. And you talked about your mom. <laughs> and once you come back here, once you discovered this life, that you didn't even know you had, right? You you rediscovered a life that you never had a chance to live, I guess. Um, were you, what would, A, first of all, has your mom been back with you at all? Or she's just stayed away? She has she's not stayed been away. back since. She, Did you, she uh, has been very cautious. Yeah, that's, she, that's exactly the word I was looking for. She Thank came you. back. Remember, Angela, she, she did oh, come right. back almost by accident. She was in town. And that's something else. Yeah. Totally yeah, unplanned. Yeah, totally unplanned. And then she did end up going to the track for a minute with her friend. But she hasn't, like, been back with me to the 500 or anything like that. She's she's pretty shy. So, so let me ask you this. Did you – was your initial reaction to having this life – I, maybe not the initial act. Did you, did you at any point kind of say, man, mom, I, I would have loved to have been a part of this? Or is it one of those things you just understand? And it's just, that's part of I, life. I say it to myself. I understand why she left and couldn't come back. I, I miss, I see, I'm a racer spirit. Right. I'm, I'm not the trophy wife type, you know, I don't, I want to be in the car. I want to be wrenching, you know, and I would have, you know, I like to say, poor Danica has got to be getting sick of this one, but I like to say I'm, I, I would have been Danica before Danica, you know, all peace and respect, but you know, I really have that um, racer spirit inside me. So coming back, it's hard. It's, it's hard. It's great, but it's hard too, because I realized, Oh my God, I miss my life. You know, I'll, I'll be, I'm 48 years old, you know, and it's all just connecting now, right now, even in the last few months still, you know, who I am and where I really belong and how lost I really was, you know, how far off my road I really got, you know, tossed and um i'm just glad i made it back i i don't hold anything against my mom you know she got broken just like i did um and and we were both broken into very different ways you know like if we were the shrapnel it's almost like she went that way and i went the other way and we've had a hard enough time just finding our way back to each other sure and so there's no more room in my body for 
anger or resentment or anything like that. I, I spent a lot of my life very sad, very depressed, and trying to find anything to make the pain go away. And I just can't do it anymore. I, I put it behind me. And that's what this book did for me. One reason, you know, I was scared to come back was because I didn't want to shame my father because I have been much less than a choir girl. You know, I, I've been through a lot, <laughs> you know, and I, I partied, I drank too much, everything. And, you know, I do suffer with depression and um, PTSD and some other things. And I was afraid of how people would accept me because my dad, you know, woohoo, perfect. You know, he's like a Stepford dad. You know, how do you, how, how can I even live up to that? And I, you know, I've, I've never been very confident. I'm getting there now, but it was really scary at first because I didn't want people to know who I really was, you know? And so it was easy for me to try and find all these faces, you know, to try and hide some of my issues. But then I just figured, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And so while we were writing this book is really when I decided this is it. I'm bringing my big old bag of crap that I've been carrying around my whole life and I'm slamming it down on the table, spread it all out so everyone can see it, you know, bring it to God trading the the ashes for beauty so this book is a really really deep dive i'm surprised still myself at how honest i um allowed myself to be with everyone but this is sort of my gift it's the only thing i have is my broken heart and what i learned from it and so i'm really hoping that by myself allowing myself to be in a vulnerable position and be very honest about what I've gone through that that might help some other people to allow themselves to be in a vulnerable position too. It's okay to bring your stuff to the table, put it on the table and get it behind you or get it out. Just get it out. You know, and I think that the more honest we are with each other, the more we can learn that we're all more the same than we are different. You know, and it just seems like there's a lack of empathy in the world right now. People are really on edge, mad at each other. You know, it's a lot of weird things been going on. But this is sort of my way to try and, you know, bring us all back together. Look, we all have our things. I don't know one perfect person. There aren't any. And, you know, so I, I hope that by allowing myself to be honest and, and vulnerable about my things that I can, that that will inspire some other people to open up about what they're going through and not telling anybody. And if not um, somebody else, me, you know, I'm the first person to say, if you're struggling, you, you don't think you're going to make it, you know, through today. I'm always some, I'm always on. So I'm always in social reach out. You know, I can't have um, anybody giving up the, on my watch now, you know what I'm saying? I've seen so many people struggle and I, I, I hope that this book really works to help um, with the mental health community. It's, it's time for that too. And I think a lot of people are struggling in silence and uh, you know, someone's got to come forth and, and put it on the table first. So that's, that's really what I did. Well, I mean, as far as being worried about, being judged in a racing community. I mean, what's the story about glass houses? I mean, there's a there's a lot of rocks and glass houses in yeah, the right. racing world. So yeah. throw the first stone, yeah, right? 
and there's a lot of people who I think are drawn to the sport uh, because their personalities are different and they have a, a different outlook on life um, and a different way they, they go through life. Yeah. And I don't, uh, it, it, I, I, I say that sport attracts outsiders and I don't mean that in a, uh, like a demonizing way. It, I think there's, it, it draws people who are kind of on the outside in because you can find your place in it. Yeah. Right. And, and the people in there have been in that same position where they couldn't find and then, you know, it's like a, it's a safe home. It really is. And none of us are perfect. Okay. I don't think any of us are trying to pretend like we're perfect. You know, it's, um, well, and, and I'll say too, you know, cause I, I grew up at a time when, you know, in the early seventies, I mean, drivers, we were losing drivers all the time, you know, yep. a couple big names a year, two or three anyway. And, um, and it's the, the, you know, we don't want to see that, but it's, it's the Sweden Angela Savage story that gives the sport its color and its depth and its interest and intrigue. I mean, it, it, Angela's story intrigued me for 40 years, you know, and I, and I'm so blessed right. to have met her and, and to have been able to put her story in the same book with her father's story. But it's, it's that, you know, the possibility that, you know, someone could lose their life out there. And I was at the track on pole day in 1973 when our Pollard was killed. And then three hours later, Swede breaks the track record, you know, and I was there when they announced that Art Pollard had died. And I was there when they announced that Gordon Smiley had died. You know, this is, the, you know, and the, the point I make in the book is, you know, we've all been to a, a football game where an athlete has been carried off the field on a stretcher, but can imagine the announcers in the third quarter saying, Hey, we regret to inform you that so-and-so has just died of his injuries. You know, people would be horrified and there'd be all kinds of you know, people yelling and screaming to, to make the sport safer, but that's the way it was back then. But that's why people like Angela and Swede and her mother, Cheryl and sister Shelly were, are so intriguing to us because they've lived through this. And there's a lot we can learn from what they've gone through. And there's deep love and appreciation for what they've gone through. And uh, uh, it, it gives color to the, the story of auto racing. You know, uh, auto racing is so good for kids. You were saying, did I regret not having been grown up in the community? Yes, I absolutely do. And see, I, I was born an adrenaline junkie. I'm a savage. It's in my blood, you know, but I didn't know really where to channel that stuff. So I just went wild, you know, and had I had, you know, I say this so much, had anybody just said, oh, just go to Indiana, you know, you'll, you'll be fine there. It would have given me such a nice channel for my sort of wild energy, right? And, and, and probably would have kept me a little more clean and sober, too i hear that a lot <laughs> and if you're a racer you can't afford anything bad anyway you know so i um you know i we got to keep racing alive i think it's just such a healthy way for kids to get their adrenaline rush without doing things that are stupid or harmful you know or illegal for that matter right i've been to sport my entire life uh first race i went to i was six weeks old and I would tell you that uh, if I didn't have auto racing and I had free weekends a lot of my life, uh, my life would probably be a lot different. Uh, I could I could definitely be one of those kids. Not that I ever was, uh, but I, I could have definitely went down other roads had I, had I had more free time. I was literally down in the pits, you know, 
And um, I like to say that my ship, it wasn't sunk. I mean, it was at the bottom, broken in half, covered in barnacles and, you know, coral reefs already. And, you know, really, if I can get my ship turned around back up to the surface and flying straight, anybody, anybody can. Right. Um, because I was a dead man walking, you know, I really should be dead so many times. And I can't help but think, I can't help but think that maybe it's because I was supposed to make it back here, you know, so um yeah you know if anybody can it's never too late you know people can change and people do get better you know and so you just really should never give up on your loved ones or your friends that are a mess you know because th things can finally click and and and, and it, there are success stories and so you know i'm also here to say that's why i put it all out there too like if i can have been through this and still be coming out functional and and raising my kids fine and I, anybody could right so ted one thing um so obviously you know there's a lot going on with um you know the book and everything but i know you've been involved in a lot of other things in racing and one of the things that i've found most interesting is the miles ahead um, and, you know, I know a little bit about it, but can you talk a little bit about the idea behind Miles Ahead and kind of how that got started? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, a number of years ago, became good friends with uh, Stefan Gregoire, seven-time Indy 500 driver. And at the time I got to be friends with Stefan, who's a great guy, um, I started helping him develop sponsorship to advance his career. I had some skills at that. And uh, while we were working on those things together and good friends, you know, he said, you know, Ted, I, I don't understand why the Indianapolis Motor Speedway doesn't have a driving school. Uh, and this was after they'd already built the Formula One track. He said every, every track in the world is, you know, he, and he comes from France, so especially in Europe, they all have driving schools there. And he said the Speedway has everything there to do a driving school. I don't know why they're not doing it. And furthermore, they have all these Corvettes parked out there all summer long you know, between the Indy 500 and the Brickyard 400, this is back in the early 2000s or early 2010s, I guess. Uh, so, you know, everything's there to do it. So he said, you know, if you agree with that, and if you want to help me put together a business plan to pitch the Speedway, uh, how'd you like to be partners in that? I said, well, heck yeah. But it took us five years <laughs> of politely knocking on the door. And, you know, they never told us yes, but never told us no. Um, and then finally, you know, uh, our contact there said, okay, look, um, if you really want to do something out here, we, we, we'll let you do uh, advanced teen driver skill training. So we were like, no, okay, not exactly what we had in mind, but it was a foot in the door. And then we, uh, through uh, Dennis Reinbold, who's a, 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 owns a number of car dealerships here in Indy, who owns an Indy car team, Stefan knew him. Uh, he said, uh, we met with Dennis and he said, well, you know, Mini would sound like a great manufacturer partner for this program. Would you like me to make an introduction? <clears throat> so that's how we ended up partnering with Mini. And we had a 10 year run with Mini, you know, just a, a great relationship. Um, so then we, we started doing this in, instruction at the Speedway. Uh, the parents would come with their kids, drop them off, pick them up. And the parents were like, this looks really great. You know, when are you gonna have something for us big kids to do? Cause this looks, I mean, we could benefit from this too. So the Speedway knew we were doing a good good job out there. And they said, okay, we'll let you do a performance driving school. Well, then Mini got all excited. They're like, well, you know, we have this Mini John Cooper Works hardtop that is a pocket rocket automobile. Uh, how many of these cars do you need? You know, 12, 24, 40, 50? And uh, the, so they jumped all over it. And then so we, so we started doing the, uh, 
the mini performance motoring school by miles ahead out at the speedway for a few years. And uh, so, so our company miles ahead, we're, we're still around and just key part of it now, um, which is another, you know, huge irony. Um, but, uh, but now we, so that's now evolved, like I said, our, our relationship with mini uh, wrapped up uh, about a year and a half ago. And now we're, we've replaced mini with electric powered racing carts. We're literally Angela's husband, Scott was building them in our shop here today. So, um, so we're transitioning to doing driving events for uh, nonprofit fundraisers. So instead of having a golf outing or a walk for charity, we'll come right to your parking lot and set up a race course with a start line. Oh, wow. line. We run the events as an autocross. So it's one cart at a time. Of course, we have multiple carts on the course at the same time. It, it is a blast. So we're really, uh, of course, COVID took the wind out of our sails. You know, the, the, the mini relationship ended right as COVID hit. So we had a couple of really, really tough years coming back from that because nobody wanted to talk about events, even though they were outdoors and everything. COVID just, you know, almost put us under. So, uh, but now we're back and, you know, we've got a brand new trailer full of electric powered racing carts. And, you know, we're just super excited about our future. So and and Angela and Scott and, and Chance yeah. and Cruz, their whole family works the events with us. I mean, that's why they moved to Indiana because I needed them uh, involved in the business. And it's just, you know, that's another thing that's just, and that's mentioned in the book as well. It's just, yeah, how could I have ever predicted that this child of sweet savage that I wondered about my whole life would end up, you know, essentially being my business partner as well. <laughs> I mean, you can't make it's this amazing. stuff up, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but we love what we do and uh, we have so much fun doing it. We're really blessed to, to do what we do. So we're in our 11th year now. And that's really cool because if you think about it, like obviously you said Stefan Gregoire is involved in it. I mean, how many sports, I mean, that'd be like, you know, NBA player coming out to, you know, to play basketball. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So right. to be exactly. able to, you know, you know, do cards with, and I'm guessing he probably races with everyone as well. Well, so, so Stefan, uh, he's no longer involved in the business, but we have him out to events. He's still a real good friend and um, he comes out to events, but we also, uh, Scott Goodyear and Michael Goodyear, Scott's son, Michael's been with us for, uh, geez, five, six years now. And then uh, Scott has done some events with us too. And, you know, of course, Scott Goodyear, his record at Indy and, and in IndyCar racing, you know, two-time winner of the Michigan 500 and, and so forth. And, and not, and he's a very articulate guy, of course. Such a nice guy. Love Goodyear. So, uh, you know, we, we just had a ball, you know, and then, you know, at one event last year, Michael and who, who's a great driver, by the way, yeah, uh, and his dad Scott were in a runoff against each other, and you know, all the people at the event were cheering as they, you know, came across the finish line, and down and, to the millisecond, and everything. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really. A, a Didn't thrilling. Michael? Michael won too, huh? Yeah, just by a little bit. <laughs> by a millisecond, it was really exciting. Yeah. But Scott is such well, we, a neat guy. We really have a, so much fun. You know, we can. Ted and I can can put an event on and bring bring the hoopla, for sure. Right, and we do uh, company team building events too. We've got uh, uh, you know one client that just called us up for. We've done three events with them here in Indy over the last few years, and now they wants to go to Detroit, Chicago, and Minneapolis to do events for offices there. So, uh, you know, we got a little bit of a setback when COVID hit and uh, the transition from mini to cars, but uh, you know we've got a really bright future ahead of us. So, and Angela and her family are key part of that ironically <laughs> yeah we actually that's had, really cool we actually talked to scott goodyear a couple weeks ago which was really yeah cool. yeah guy. amazing guy. career yeah yeah very talented 
he'll be around. He's going to be working with us too. And Michael too. And we have right. some people coming through. Yeah. We've got our first event coming up uh, May 14th in uh, Lyle, Illinois, which is outside of Chicago. That's a, that's a repeat event. And uh, you know, the, the nice thing about that is, you know, we did the event last year with uh, mini John Cooper works hard tops this year. We're doing them with our electric carts and, you know, they're looking forward to it, you know, just like they would with probably more so than, you know, with the cars, because it's, it's going to be a real thrill. You know, anyone who's driven a cart, you know, a couple inches off the ground at speeds approaching 50 miles an hour. I mean, that's a, that's a thrill. So. Right. Can't wait. Right. I've definitely experienced that with like, I'm sure you've been like fast times or Sarah Fisher's indoor karting. Fast right. times was like right. the first and people like I always, you know, people are like, oh, racing is not a sport. And I always say, you know, just go to fast times. And that's just a very small yeah. dose of that. it. <laughs> 10 minutes behind the wheel of a car. Right. Yeah. 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 Like you're worn out yeah. after eight minutes there. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the carts we use since we're running time trial events through a, an autocross course and we're not doing wheel to wheel racing. And these are thoroughbred racing carts. These are oh, top cart USA imported champions from Italy. So we don't have all the wraparound bumpers and the heavy roll bars and all that kind of stuff because we're not going wheel to wheel. So, you know, the, the, the speed and the, res the responsiveness of those carts is, you know, even greater than what you would get at, uh, you know, one of those public car sure. facilities. Really excited. Well, Aaron, do you have anything else for him? I don't. Um, no, we really appreciate both of you, you know, taking time. Both of you, I'm sure, are very busy. So we really appreciate it. It was really cool, you know, getting to talk to both of you really thank been you. my pleasure thank you so much for having us on thank you for being so nice and welcoming appreciate it well we really appreciate it. plug the plug your your merchant book again before we let you go the book can be found at savage42.net it's called savage angel and be sure to look over in the tabs for the merchandise spot and get yourself a t-shirt and a hat you may really? just see me in one. You may just see me in one this summer at the tracks. Oh, good. I hope so. I hope so. Well, I'll tell you, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's hard to believe he was 26 years old. It, it's uh, stunning to think a, a man that young accomplished so much in his time. And uh, he has the great one of the greatest racing names of all time. Sweet Savage is one of the most amazing names ever. Yeah, and, I don't know how you um, that. And, uh, but, 26. you know, and I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just, I think about where I was when I was 26, comparatively yeah, speaking. Oh, it, it really does blow my mind how much he did by 26. I Well, to that point, right above my head, as I point to this photo, that's Swede Savage at age 24, meeting the president of the United States. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of people that age are still trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and sweets meeting the president. So who, who was a who was a president then? Richard Nixon. Nixon. Richard Nixon. Yeah. yeah. I so Parnelli's got one of he and Aggie yeah. meeting Nixon. Aggie genius. Yeah. 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 Same same uh event. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. Very proud. It's funny because well, in the picture you can tell that when my dad walked up, he he's cracking a joke. If uh, if you look at the picture, he's just got this funny face on. I know the face, and and the the president is cracking up. So you know, not only did he meet the president, but he made him laugh. You know, and I just <laughs> love that. I just love that about my dad. The stories I hear, um, the more I hear about my dad, the more I know that 
he and I are the same. You know, I never really knew that growing up, but we're both, sure. uh, wouldn't you say we're pretty similar in our personality? Oh, yeah. Jokesters oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. stir the pot. A yeah. Bit, yeah, always stirring the pot, trying to find the funny. I mean, this has been an absolute pleasure for me. And I first became acquainted seeing your name about 2014. And I saw when you come back for the first time. And I thought, oh, that's that's really interesting. Uh, uh-huh. Because I, I had no idea that your family had dropped out of the, you know, had pulled so far away from the sport. Yeah. And um, and I and obviously I didn't really know your story. So it's been a pleasure meeting you, Ted. I, I think it's amazing that your road took you where it has so far and um i wish you guys nothing but success and uh thank you so much thank you